You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? I like that. Whatever that was, I liked it. All right. So, and I say it because I won't like, ow. How'd you do it? There, that was like, that's what I like. We need a few people doing that. Thank you. I didn't mean right now, but okay, well, all right, that's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, this is an interesting group. It really is. All right, so uh, when I first moved to Florida, uh, I was just before my 14th birthday, I moved uh, from Boston uh, to Florida. And at that Christmas, someone from my family in Boston mailed me a Christmas present. And I opened it, and it was a red turtleneck sweater. Now, knowing how useful turtlenecks are here in Florida, I decided to return it. And so I went to the store, and it was a, they bought it at like one of these big department stores in the mall. So I brought it back, and uh, they said, oh, you know, you want a refund. I said, that's fine. So they said, okay, uh, Mr. Franquiz, here's your $3.18. And I was so hurt by it. Like, ah. Oh. Our relationship has been reduced to this. And you might be thinking, like, what'd you get them? Nothing. But that's not really the point of the story. Is that gifts have this way, right, of kind of showing you, like, the level of relationship that we have. And people give gifts for different reasons. And I think we all realize this. Some of us have, like, the obligatory gift. That is the gift you got to get somebody because, well, you know, you're just in it. So, like, Secret Santa falls into that category. And so you don't know much about the person, but now you've got to figure out, like, how do I get them something that they like? And now you're trying to ask people that know them what do they like and try to do that without being kind of creepy. And then, and it's still a gamble. I remember one year we did Secret Santa, and someone bought my wife a hammock. Now, not, you know, because a hammock, there's the material part of the hammock, and then there's also, if you don't have, like, a tree in your backyard, there's the metal apparatus that you can create for the hammock. Well, this person just bought us, or just got my wife, the material part of the hammock. And you got to understand something, but my wife is gracious and beautiful and charming. And she was like, thank you so much. What a kind gift. I am none of the things that I just mentioned. And I was like, dude, what the heck is wrong with you? And he's like, what? And he's like, I thought maybe you could just tie it to two trees in your yard. And I'm like, I don't have two trees that are equidistant from each other, small enough to wrap around material and big enough to hold an adult's weight. And you should have investigated a little bit more before you bought this. Anyway, that person and I are no longer friends. Um, But if I can give you a pro tip, can I give you a pro tip? If you don't know the person real, real well, buy them a gift card. And if you want to go better, wait, wait. If you want to get even better than that, get them a gift card to a restaurant. You know why? Because everyone loves food, and food is everyone's love language. Okay? Now, there's, there, that's, that is the obligatory gift. There's also the gift for services rendered gift. This is the kind of gift that you give the mailman or the trash man. And, uh, you know, at Christmas time, you'll get, like, a card in the mail from your letter carrier. I remember talking to my dad. My dad worked for the post office for 26 years. And, I'm, and I would be like, Papa, why, why? And he's like, 
Robert, you can't blame us for trying to make some extra cash. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. So, but my parents used to give the mailman 20 bucks every, every year. They'd take that little envelope, they'd give him a 20. And then uh, the, the weird thing is that trash guys, they'd give the trash guys a six pack of beer, and, which I never understood. The part that's weirder about that story is that they would make me at 10 years old go out and give it to them. Robert, go give the guys the Christmas gift. Could you, I want you to imagine being me for a minute at 10. It's like, uh, hey guys, you know, they're coming to take, hey, um, I had an extra one in my house. Like, I don't even know, what, what do you say in that? But I would give them that. And by the way, I didn't have a choice in this, but I would have flipped that. I would have given the mailman the beer and the trash guys the 20 bucks. Because if the mailman gets drunk on the job, after, he's going to take out a mailbox. If the garbage men get wasted, they're taking out your house. And so, but there's also, and this is the last one, but there is the re-gift. The re-gift is the most insidious of all gifts. Uh, be, I don't know, has anybody ever been re-gifted? Like, we're friends, we've known each other for five minutes now, you've been re-gifted. Anybody been re-gifted? Yeah, Okay, you've been re-gifted. You are the victim of a crime. <laughs> and you may be entitled to compensation. And uh, so now, and this is where, and some of you are such nice people, you don't even know what that is. A re-gift is when you receive a lame gift and you're like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm not gonna throw this away. I'm gonna pass this on to someone else. And so now, I have been re-gifted many times in my life, which is why I take it seriously. I used to have a box in my garage, which I am now no longer allowed to have because I want to be happily married. And so, but I used to have a box of re-gifts that I would carefully wade through at the, for the appropriate time. Well, anyway, one year, when Carrie and I were first married, someone in our family, and by our family, I mean someone related to my wife. Um, <laughs> so they gave us, and if you've been around Calvary for a while, I've told this before, so I just need you to laugh in the appropriate spots before we move on. And so... But they, they bought us, they got us for Christmas, they bought us, they got us for Christmas this glass Santa boot. I want you to imagine like a glass thing that looks like an ashtray, but in the shape of Santa's boot. And my wife, because she's beautiful and charming and gracious, she was like, wow, this is so nice. I, now I have a spot for the candy. Like, I didn't know what I was going to do with my, like, really, that's, a, that's, that's been the, egg, the head scratcher this whole time. And, um, and so it's obviously a re-gift. What do you do in these moments? I'm going to tell you what I did is that I wrapped it up the next year and gave it back to them. <laughs> Outside of the birth of my three children, it's the most joy I've ever had. <laughs> and ho, ho, ho! And so, anyway, regifting a regifter is like shooting a criminal with his own gun. It's fabulous. And, uh, and so, all right, now, but then there's the perfect gift. And the perfect gift is the gift that you needed, but you didn't really know that you needed it. It's the gift that shows how much the person really knows you. And see, here's the thing, is that God's gifts are like that. God gives us a gift, and it's the gift we didn't realize that we needed. It's a gift that we didn't even realize that was available to us. But what's a little bit different than a birthday gift or a Christmas gift is that God's gifts have to be discovered. God's gifts also have to be developed. And the other thing is that God's gifts ultimately aren't for you. They're for the benefit of everybody around you. 
Because, but here's the thing, and listen, you got to look at this stuff, and this is the thing that I want you to know, right? The people with the most joy, the people who are walking with God that just have like more joy in their life than you think should be legally allowed, these are the people that know what their gifting is, and they use their gifting, and everybody benefits from it, and they are blessed because they use their gifts as well. Now, I tell you all of that because we are, if you can believe it, in the 16th message in a series in 1 Corinthians that we've been calling a beautiful mess. Now, the Apostle Paul planted the church at Corinth, and you're like, where's Corinth? Corinth is a city in southern Greece. Now, he planted that church. He stayed there for a little over two years, planting the church. He turned it over to local leaders, and he went to start other churches. But it wasn't too long after that he got word that this church was all messed up. They had all kinds of infighting and division. So he writes them this letter that we've been studying, telling them that a divided world needs a church that's united. And the way that you become united is having what he says in chapter two, which he calls having the mind of Christ. That is thinking about things the way Jesus thinks about things, knowing what God wants us to do and speaking in a way that is consistent with the character and nature of God. Now, if I can do this, some of you have been to all these messages and some of you haven't, and that's okay. So for those of you that have, I'm going to review for like 30 seconds. And then for those of you that haven't, you're going to be up to speed. So we're going to do 35,000 feet of first Corinthians real quick. The first six chapters of first Corinthians are Paul correcting all of the problems, all the division, the infighting. I'm with um, team so-and-so or such and such. He's correcting all of that. And then in chapter seven, he changes gears. And he says in chapter seven, verse one, now concerning the questions that you wrote to me about, Because the church at Corinth had written Paul a letter saying, listen, we have all these questions about theology and methodology and what do we do in what situation. And so he begins to answer these questions from chapter 7 through the end of the book. And so he starts talking about, uh, in chapter 7, marriage and singleness and what that means for us as Christians. And in chapters 8, 9, and 10, he talks about what happens when Christians disagree on an issue. And how do we disagree agreeably in a way that we don't have to vilify other people? And then, and what he says is, is that, listen, if you're the person who has a little bit more freedom and you're more mature, you may have to curb your freedom for the believer who's weak. To the believer who's weak, he says, you got to stop being easily offended and grow up. And if you're like, well, I find that offensive. Well, then you've just told us what group you're in. And so, and that's not me, that's Paul. So anyway, but then in chapter 11, he changes gears. He talks about church services and how things ought to, how they ought to operate in a way that honors God. He begins by talking about gender roles how God has wired us. And then he talks about communion, how it transforms us and how it connects us to God and each other. And now we get into this brand new section of 1 Corinthians, which we'll spend chapters 12, 13, and 14 talking about and talking about spiritual gifts, what spiritual gifts are, what, spir- you know, what they're for, and who they're for. And spiritual gifts, listen, this goes beyond our talents. It goes beyond abilities. It goes beyond uh, experiences that we have, that spiritual gifts are that. They are gifts that God gives to us and God gives to every believer. Every believer, whether you realize it or not, you have a spiritual gift or more than one, probably. But our goal is to discover what those gifts are, to develop those gifts, or as the apostle Paul would tell Timothy, to fan those gifts into flame and then watch what God does in our lives when we do. And that's when he's going to begin the conversation in chapter 12 and verse 1. And he says this. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. 
You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministry, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things we're going to talk about in reference to spiritual gifts. But the first is this, and that is that spiritual gifts all serve one function. No matter what the gift is, it all serves one function. Now, Paul opens this conversation by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts about spiritual things, because ignorance is rarely a good quality. Now, there have been moments in our lives where we wished we hadn't known something, and that is absolutely true. One time, my wife was reading to me an article about the conditions of factories that manufacture hot dogs. Now, you already know where this conversation's going. Is that, and it, she's telling me, she's reading about how many bugs and hair and level of bacteria that are allowed per 100 hot dogs. And, I, and, I, and I'm begging her, woman, why are you telling me this information? And she says, because I know you'd like hot dogs. And I said, yes, but I want to continue liking hot dogs. So you got to stop. And let me tell you something. She didn't. And do you know how long I didn't eat a hot dog for? Seven long days. That was the longest week of my life. I didn't eat a hot dog. So Paul opens verse one. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Now, you want to know something about that phrase. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. You know, Paul actually uses that phrase five times in all of his writings because uh, there's five issues. And if you do a little fact-finding mission, you'll find that Paul talks about what Christians shouldn't be ignorant about. And if you want to know, I'll tell them to you right now. He uh, He says, you shouldn't be ignorant, brethren, about... God's plan for Israel. He says that in Romans. He says you shouldn't be ignorant about the rapture and the second coming. He says that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says you shouldn't be ignorant about Satan's schemes. He says that in 2 Corinthians. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about Old Testament typology and how that pictures New Testament principles. And then in chapter 12, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. In 2021, you want to know the five topics that Christians are the least informed about? God's plan for Israel, the second coming, Satan screams, how the Old Testament complements the new, spiritual gifts. And listen, if I can just talk for a minute, because listen, I know this. Some of you, you're going to be here for the rest of your life, and others of you are going to make a terrible decision and move away. And then, and I get this, uh, people call, they'll say, you know, we're moving. Can you tell us the church? And I have this conversation. It's almost, I feel like every week we're praying for someone who's moving and, uh, and then they'll, they'll move somewhere and they'll say, you know, we, where should we go to church? So I'll give them a couple of recommendations and they'll say, you know, we went to the places that you recommended and it's not like Calvary. And I'm like, oh, I didn't say they were as good as Calvary. I just said, that's all there is. And so anywhere you leave from here is a step down. So, so <laughs> that's just that. But But listen, here's where you've got to realize this. And this is one of the things that if you want to know why the church, capital C, at large in the world, is in the state that it's in, it's because we've transformed church services into these hype sessions where we've gotten away from teaching the Bible and we've just told everybody, stay positive, it's all good, you know. And it's like, uh, how about this? I'm positive that it's not all good. 
Uh, and, and, and the reality is, and you don't even have to have lived that long to know that it's not all good. God is good even when things aren't good, and God is doing something good even when things aren't good. But listen, um, if we, what's happening in our culture today, and we see Christians that are believing all kinds of weird things and doing all kinds of weird things, and it is directly related to Christians not being equipped. And listen, um, in September, we are celebrating 21 years as a church. Yeah, no, we're pretty excited about that. And they said it wouldn't last. Uh, but no, and we're actually, because we weren't able to celebrate our 20th anniversary, and I will never forgive coronavirus for that. And, uh, but we, so we have to celebrate 20 and 21, so it's going to be a double party, and that's because it's 2021. And I just came up with that right now. So if it's a little dim-witted, once again, it's just off the top of my head, and what comes off the top of my head is usually dandruff. So um, anyway, so... <laughs> So the point is this, right? And, and listen, for 20 years, we have been committed to teaching the Bible. And, and you know, especially through the pandemic, I started watching, because once again, I, I listen to other preachers. I, I watch what other ministries are doing, and this isn't me trying to talk smack. If I'm talking smack, trust me, you'll know. Um, but what, I see, what I've seen is this, is that there is just, uh, like, you know, when, when something like this hits the world, the, hey, man, it's all good, you know, faith over fear. Like, dude, we got to do a little better than that. And that's why we had, we, Christians were so ill-equipped to handle changes that were happening in the world. And I just decided when we were in the pandemic, I said, I'm going to start talking, teaching on the minor prophets, which I can assure you, I was probably the only pastor in Florida teaching on that at least. And then when we came back, I said, I'm just going to start teaching all the hard stuff. Hebrews, 1 Corinthians after that, 1 Timothy after that. We're going to teach the book of Revelation. And we, I just said, we're going to start teaching all the hard stuff because I don't want it to ever be said about anybody who attends here, hey, well, they just didn't equip me. If you didn't get equipped, it's because you didn't show up. But we are going to equip you every week that you're here. So if there's five things that people aren't equipped about, and one of them is spiritual gifts. If you're here this week and next week and the week after, chapters 12, 13, and 14, you'll be able to check that one off the list. Say, when it comes to spiritual gifts, I am educated. Now, the thing that you've got to understand about spiritual gifts, because this is kind of the classic passage, chapter 12 and 14 are the passages that people talk about. But this isn't the only section of Scripture that talks about spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 of Romans mentions some spiritual gifts. Chapter 4 of Ephesians talks about spiritual gifts. What Paul is going to explain in this passage and what he's going to focus on in this area is what are the things that happen in the context of a church service and more than likely because he lists these nine spiritual gifts that we're going to look at in a moment. But he talks about those because probably these were the ones that were being abused or not used in a proper context. And so now this is important because we've got to understand what, spirit, what the spiritual gifts are and why they exist. Verse 7 in the passage that we read, and I, I have it underlined in my Bible, it says this, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That's why spiritual gifts exist, for the profit of everyone else. My gifts aren't for me, and your gifts aren't for you. We are blessed when we use our gifts because they are for the benefit of everyone else. And when we use our gifts, we know that God is using us. I'm a Bible teacher. That's my gifting. That's what, and by the way, the way you know someone has a gift of teaching, 
Because when someone doesn't have a gift of teaching and you're talking about something and they're, and they're like, oh, you don't know that? I can't believe you don't know that. When someone has the gift of teaching and you talk about a topic, they're like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. They're like, oh, fresh meat. I had, they don't know. And now I can just, and I'm telling you, nothing is sadder than uh, in the world than a teacher with no students. Um, and, and once again, when I don't have an outlet to teach, my poor kids take the brunt of it. And once again, sometimes I get excited and I just want to start talking about something. I took my two oldest kids, uh, my daughter Mia, that's 14, and my son Xander, who will be 12 on Thursday. And so I took them to lunch on Monday. And I spent half the lunch talking about Alexander the Great. So if you want, like, what's it like to be the child of a pastor? This is what it's like is that I spent half the lunch talking about Alexander the Great conquering the known world, spreading Greek culture throughout the entire world, so that at the, there was only one point in time where the entire world was speaking the same language. And then after that, the Romans came to town, and they took over, and they started building all this entire ro- road system because they had this fundamental belief that in the Roman world, you sh- no matter where you live, there should be a road. By the way, that phrase, all roads lead to Rome, that is because they created this road system that no matter where you lived in the Roman Empire, you could walk to Rome and get justice if you weren't getting justice locally. So I am going full fire hydrant on my kids. And they're like, mm-hmm, is that right? And, uh, and, 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 and then, but that was just the, I was just setting it up. And then I was talking about, but don't you see, this is the perfect opportunity for the gospel to be born. Everyone was speaking the same language, and the entire world was connected via this intricate road system that Rome, that they had created. My kids were so polite. They're like, "Uh uh-huh, wow. And they looked at each other like, it's okay. Just let them get it out of his system. It'll pass soon. And so... But you know, the reality is, is that once you know what your gift is and you use it, everybody benefits and you're the one blessed too because you know that God is using you. It's when you feel the most alive. And the point that he makes his opening is, listen, it doesn't matter what your gift is. It's all coming from the same gift giver. And when we use it for the blessing of everybody else, we're the ones who are blessed as well because God is using us. And then what Paul does in verse 8 is he starts describing what these gifts are. He says this, he says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free. Have, we have all been made to drink into one spirit, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. And if you pause there and give me your attention. The next thing I want to tell you about spiritual gifts, the second thing is that spiritual gifts are varied in form. Paul mentions nine gifts here. Now, as I told you, this isn't a complete list. Romans 12 has a list. Ephesians 4 has a list. But more than likely, the nine here were ones that probably weren't being used correctly in the church. And a few of these, uh, three in particular, he's going to spend a whole bunch of time in chapter 14 describing. So, but let's walk through these. The first is he says this. He says, the word of wisdom. What is the word of wisdom? The word of wisdom is the right word at the right time. Jesus used this gift constantly. 
uh, in his earthly ministry. When they came to him in Matthew chapter 22, and they said, teacher, tell us, should we pay taxes to Caesar? That's a problem statement. Because if he says no, then they're going to say he's an insurrectionist and Rome is going to get involved to arrest him. If he says, yes, pay taxes, then the Pharisees are going to label him as a friend of the enemy of the Roman Empire. So Jesus uses the word of wisdom, and he says, well, let me just read it to you. And Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius, that is a day's wage, and he's asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. And it just, it was one of these like drop the mic moments. Like what in the world do you say to that? And by the way, not only was he answering the question, but he's also answering the question that they weren't asking. And that is, if the inscription was on the the coin, you got to give to Caesar what's Caesar's. By the way, whose image are you created in? God's. So then you've got to give to God's what is God's. That is giving your whole life to him. It was the word of wisdom. It was the right word at the right time. When we were starting Calvary, it was right around now, maybe August or so of 2000, right before we had started our church, I had a friend call me and said, hey, can I send you a fax? Now, just get your chuckle out, I know. I had a fax machine, and on my belt, I had a beeper. So just to kind of give you an idea, and I still had hair. So, but I was, I was an associate pastor at Calvary Chapel in Fort Lauderdale at the time, and he said, hey, listen, I was praying for you this morning, and I just want to send this to you. So I walk over. We had a mail room. And so I walk over to the mailroom, and there's a fax machine, and the fax comes through. Now, here's what this guy didn't know. So let me give you a little bit of backstory. Is that we had decided, we had announced to everybody that we were going to leave and come start this church. And this, this particular morning, I was just gripped with fear. I had this, like, what in the world have I done? I had spent the last four years running a college, training up future pastors, worship leaders, missionaries. I was having a great time. And then we felt like my wife and I praying, fasting, like we think God is leading us to go start a church. And, and we were having this, uh, and I just woke up and I'm like, what in the world have I gotten myself into? And I said, what if I go to work, go to work today? And I just walk into my pastor's office and I'm just like, psych, I really had you going. I'd like to keep my job, please. And uh, so, and, and, and so anyway, and I was really wrestling. So he sends me a fax. And here's what the fact said. It's a verse. It says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack you to harm you because I have many people in this city. And he just wrote, I'm praying for you. And I'm telling you, that wasn't just about Paul and what he was doing. That was now about me. That was the word of wisdom. That was the right word at the right time that spoke clarity and faith into my life to do what God was calling me to do. The second one that's mentioned is called the word of wisdom, which is similar. Um, the word of wisdom is, are supernaturally given truths. Uh, sometimes the way the, wor- the, the, word of wisd- uh, the word of knowledge will work is that God will just give you information about something, and you just talk about it like, whoa, how did you know that? And it's not even necessarily about you, but it's something that happens, and you just share it with someone else, and it, and it does something. I, I've had this happen so many times. A lot of times, I don't even realize it. And see, what will happen is, and by the way, I've always said this, that when I go off my notes is when I get into trouble. Well, what will happen is sometimes I'll just be 
given an illustration. And I'm just like, let me just tell you how it works with you and your wife. You and your wife were driving somewhere and then something happened and, and, and you know, there was this light. And was, do I go when it's yellow? And I decide to stop. And then that turned into a big argument. And then you guys were going to have this night, nice night. And all it took was one stoplight, right? So that's totally made up. Well, let me just tell you over the years how many times I've had, after the service, I've had guys waiting for me. Or during the week, I've had guys call me. They're like, I just got into an argument with my wife and I told her, stop telling the pastor what we argue about. <laughs> I'm telling, I can't even tell you how many times this happened. And, and, I, and he's like, I know you talked to my wife. I know she told you. I'm like, dude, I don't know you or your wife. And I'm sorry to tell you, but I haven't talked to your spouse about, uh, about what, what happened. And, and once again, and, uh, and they're like, no, it's impossible because it's exactly what we're going through. And I'm like, dude, you don't understand. That's God, not me. So whatever you need to do, you better change before you get struck by lightning or something. So this is God's warning. He's going to kill you. Um, so, <laughs> so, all right, that might be too far. And so, but this is once again, and, uh, and sometimes it's just once again, information that God gives for the sake of helping someone else. Um, if you want a biblical reference for this, Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit about selling a piece of property and Peter confronts them. There was no way he could have known that except by the Spirit. Okay, third one, the gift of faith. This is supernaturally stepping out for God. Now, this is different from regular faith, if I can even call it that. Let me explain it this way. Paul says it in Romans 12. He says it like this. He says, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Every person has a measure of faith. That is, you have faith to come to know Jesus. You have faith to trust Jesus and walk with him. The gift of faith comes upon a person at times to do something that seems seemingly ridiculous, but it's like, hey, I just believe God's called me to do it. We see this at work uh, in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14. Jonathan, who is the son of King Saul, he has this conversation with his armor bearer. And they were, the, the people of Israel at the time were perpetually at war with the Philistines who were like their perennial enemies. And so, but they, he sees at the top of this hill, he sees some of the Philistines and Jonathan, the king's son, says to, the, uh, to this armor bearer, he goes, you know, God doesn't need a whole army to defeat the Philistines. He could just use us if he wants. So he says, how about this? He tells his armor bearer, if we say, if we call out to them and they say, hey, why don't you come up here and we'll show you something, we'll know God has delivered them into our hands. But if they say, hey, we're gonna come down, then we're gonna book it as fast as we can because God's not in this at all. And so... So they get to the hill, hey, you know, and then those guys, the Philistines are like, hey, why don't you come up here? We're going to show you something. And they're like, all right, let's do this. I always feel bad for the armor bearer because the armor bearer only gets to carry weapons when there's no fight. But the armor bearer, they're like, and the armor bearer like, all right, hand me the sword, hand me the shield. Like, what do I do? I don't know. I'm doing jumping jacks or something, be a distraction because I don't have any other weapons. So anyway, but Jonathan and his armor bearer go up there and they defeat the Philistines or that part of the Philistine army. In that moment, now I want you, this is an important thing to note. Jonathan never tried that again. Like it wasn't like, and then Jonathan did this weekly. This was his Tuesday ritual, right? There was never that. It was that one time God gave him the gift of faith to show that God could do something with a seemingly small group of people. And there's gonna be moments where God challenges you to do things beyond the normal and the gift of faith comes on you 
to do that incredible thing. The fourth is what are called gifts of healing. This is God's intervention to help people physically. I want you to notice something that it's not, he doesn't say the gift of healing. He, it's actually both are p- plural. Gifts of healings. And he'll say it again at the end of chapter 12. And once again, this is, uh, God will operate this in different ways. It doesn't mean that God heals everyone. It means that God heals if it's God's will. And that's why, as I mentioned at the end of this chapter, right around verse 29, 30, um, he calls them gifts of healing, plural. There are different types of healing. There's physical healing, obviously, emotional healing, spiritual healing, relational healing. Uh, There's a fifth one that Marvin Gaye talks about in one of his songs, Um, but it's not in the Bible. You'll have to talk to your wife about that. Um, Wake up, wake up. Uh, So... Everyone who laughed is dating themselves. I just want to say that. So, anyway. Because you too. All right, let me move on. And so, but I will say this. I I will say this. You know, I am yet to see this gift land on a person permanently, where a person just becomes like a permanent healer, and that's all that they do. And once again, what happens when people start billing themselves is that is that the focus becomes on the person and not on the person who really does the healing. Um, I believe in healing. I, I believe in divine healing. And I've seen God heal people that I've prayed for. And we need to be careful that we don't worship the gift or the vessel, but that we worship the giver of the gifts. And I'm going to tell you, one time... Uh, this is back when I was an assistant pastor. I went to visit a woman in the hospital. And when I saw her, I mean, I was 25 years old, so I knew everything. And, uh, but no, I, I was 25, and I walked into this hospital room. I had never seen so many wires hooked up to a person, ever. And their family had asked me to come in and pray for them, for this person's, this woman's healing. And I got to be honest. I was like, I, I, I looked at that situation and I am like, <laughs> this, this, it's, it's done. It's over. And so I prayed. I mean, I had, I anointed the person with oil. And, and if I'm being honest, I prayed like the most half-hearted healing prayer. And it was like, God, I pray you heal this person, but you know, you're probably not. And, uh, you know, we're going to celebrate your life at the funeral. I mean, it, was, it wasn't maybe that bad, but it was rough. I just did, I couldn't see it. Couldn't see it. And, uh, but I prayed for them. So I'm in a meeting the next afternoon. And I had gone to see this woman. And then the, the, the person that, um, another pastor had gone to see them. And so I said, hey, how's she doing? And he's like, she's doing amazing. And I'm like, what, what? And he's like, no, no. Like, and I'm like, dude, she was like totally connected to wires, machines. She couldn't even move. She could barely speak. He goes, dude, she was sitting up. She was eating solid food. She was talking, laughing, and she didn't have anything connected to her at all. And I was like, dude, that's the power of prayer, man. It's praying. Don't clap for me uh, because I did not pray the prayer of faith. I prayed the prayer of defeat. And uh, because I thought it was over. And once again, and here's the point, is that it ain't about you. It ain't about you. Is that, and and I'm telling you, I think God allowed me to see that so that it could be burned in my mind at a very young age, that praying for someone, that it's never about the person praying. 
Our job is always, we always want to pray for God's healing. We always want to pray for that. But it's not our job to manufacture it. Our job is to trust the one who actually does the healing. And that's the point. And then number five, he talks about the working of miracles. And this is God's overriding work in the world. This is God through his power overriding the laws of nature to accomplish his purpose in the world. Working of miracles could also be translated acts of power uh, in the Greek language. And we see this, of course, all throughout the Bible. This is Moses parting the Red Sea. This is Jesus calming the storms. This is Paul giving a man blindness in Acts chapter 13, who's trying to turn people away from Jesus. But it is God's power at work supernaturally overriding the laws of nature to accomplish his good work in the world. Now, here's the thing about gifts of healing, and here's the thing about working of miracles, is that you can't predict it. You can't advertise, we're going to have a healing service. Come see the miracles tonight at seven. Like, you just can't. And once again, people do it because they're idiotic. But, uh, but, and once, but the problem is, you can't decide, well, God is going to do it at this moment. Because guess what? Um, in the kingdom of God, you're in sales, not management. And that's just the reality. And instead, what we do is we pray and we ask God. And there are moments when our prayer is in line with the will of God. And God does something great in our midst. But we cannot force it. We certainly can't advertise it. And we definitely can't schedule it. Number six, the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is forthtelling the truths of God. And you might say, no, 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 don't you mean foretelling the truths of God? Sometimes it can be that. But more often in the New Testament, it is forth-telling, bringing forth the truths of God that he has already revealed. In fact, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to explain what he means by this, where he says this, he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. The person with the gift of prophecy, what does he do? He edifies, that is, he builds up believers he exhorts, uh, that means he fires up believers, and then he comforts them, and that is that he lifts up believers. And that is, once again, lots more on this gift when we get to chapter 14 in a couple of weeks. But the next one is discerning of spirits. That is the ability to separate what's true and false. Now, I'm going to read you a passage, and you're going to tell me what's false. All right, or what's true? All right, this is Acts chapter 16. It says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. This woman is demon-possessed, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us, that is Luke, Silas, and his whole crew, and cried out saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now pause. Okay. What's wrong with that statement? There's nothing wrong with that statement. Are these men servants of the Most High God? Yes. Are they proclaiming to everyone the way of salvation? Yes. So what's wrong? It's the person who's saying it. That the person who's saying it, well, look at what happens next. It says, and she did this for many days, and then Paul greatly annoyed. That's one of the things I love most about him. It says, he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. The girl was saying all the right things, but the spirit wasn't right. And why would some demonic thing say all the right things? 
simply to discredit their message. You see, discernment is the ability to separate truth from deception. And my friends, the days in which we are living in right now, we need people with this gift, discernment, to be able to separate truth from fiction. We need that more than ever. Number eight, the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is the ability to spontaneously speak a new language. Now, we're going to talk about um, tongues, prophecy, and interpretation a lot in chapter 14, but let me give you a quick definition. Tongues is a personal prayer language that gives a believer the ability to speak to God in a language they do not know naturally. And so, and I know sometimes people say, oh yeah, I speak in tongues. I speak Spanish and English. And uh, like, well, that means you're bilingual. That doesn't mean you speak in tongues. And so now, and by the way, there are those who will say, and these are like good Bible teachers. I just happen to disagree with them. Well, they'll say, well, the gift of tongues is someone who is able to speak an already pre-existing language. And sometimes that's the case, but not always. In fact, in chapter 13, which we're going to look at next week, Paul's going to continue the conversation about gifts. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, that there's two different things. The tongues of men are known languages, but there's also the tongues of angels, which refers to heavenly languages that we know nothing of. But the thing that we're going to learn in chapter 14 is that tongues is always directed to God and it's always praise and worship of who God is. That's why in the passage we read before, prophecy is given for people, but a person who speaks in a tongue is speaking not to men, but to God. Interpret, gift of interpretation is spontaneously understanding a new language. Now, once again, we'll spend uh, more time on this in um, chapter 14, but there is so much misinformation on this topic. So let me just say this, because one of the things that people will say is the only way that you know that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life is if you can speak in tongues. Now, that is a way to know that the Holy Spirit is at work, but it's certainly not the way. Because it's certainly not what Jesus said, that he's, here's how you know the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. At the beginning of the book of Acts, in chapter 1, he said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The Greek word there is dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite. Uh, you'll be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said people whose lives are marked by the Holy Spirit will be dynamic people who live for Jesus no matter what the situation. Paul is going to go on in verse in chapter 13 and talk about uh, spiritual gifts, saying that the greatest of all these gifts, that all that remains is faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. So if you want to know, is the Holy Spirit working in me? Do I have a supernatural love beyond what I could muster? And do I have a supernatural power to live for God beyond what anyone else would think is possible. And my point is this. Don't go chasing after certain gifts. Instead, go chasing after the giver of the gifts and allow him to bless your life, your life with the gifts that you specifically need for what God has call, called you to do. All right, verse 15, and then we're done. Um, he says, If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling? 
But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on those we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or division in the body, and that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But do earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. Last thing I want to tell you and then we're done. And that is that spiritual gifts are all necessary. They're all necessary. And Paul kind of belabors the point of making sure that everyone realizes just because your gift is different doesn't make it unnecessary. That God has placed in the gifts, the same Lord has given us a variety of gifts so that we could function together as a body. That's why everyone in the church doesn't have the same gift because that would be weird. That's why Paul says, imagine if your whole body was an eye. I mean, what would that even look like? Actually, we know what that would look like. It'd look like this. And so, but we all have different gifts and we all serve in different ways. And that's what makes a body healthy. And sometimes we get it wrong. Paul says that sometimes we give too much emphasis to certain parts and not to other parts. And isn't that how it works? A lot of times we give so much focus to who's on the stage and who's teaching and who's singing, but then we miss the great gifts that other people have when they're serving. Listen, but we do this. We do this in our bodies, that we give certain emphasis to certain parts of our body as opposed to others. I mean, think about this, right? Think about in your life how much money you have spent on your hair. Shampoos and cuts and blowouts and hair, hair things. I'm, I'm running out of, uh, and so all this stuff. And I'm here to tell you that you can live a full life without hair. <laughs> I'm not saying you're going to be good looking, but I'm saying you can live a full life without hair. But what thing, when was the last time, when was the last time that you used like, man, I just spent good money because you know what? My kidneys are worth it. Like, or your liver, or your heart. But you can't live without those. And yet sometimes we give emphasis to these things that Paul would say seem weak, but actually are more important. And I get it. I mean, I, you, you don't compliment your wife like that. Like, honey, I'm so blessed by your liver enzymes. <laughs> they are like right on the money. Girl, your blood pressure so, your blood pressure so perfect is making mine go up. And so, right, you don't... <laughs> And so Paul then says, listen, not everyone has the same gifts, but we should earnestly or zealously seek out the best gifts. What are the best gifts? 
The best gifts are whatever gift you need to do what God has called you to do. And you know what the point of all of this is? What he wanted that church to know and what he wants this church to know is that you are not an extra. You are not forgotten. That you are not unimportant. That you're vital to the body of Christ. That for the body to be healthy, all of us have to discover our gifts and all of us have to develop our gifts and all of us have to deploy our gifts so that the whole body is built up and you realize how important your role is. Listen, one of the reasons why people fall off from church is because they just didn't realize that they mattered. They didn't realize that their gifts were important. And sometimes we feel isolated and alone and we start withdrawing and we, everybody starts missing out. And because you didn't realize that, that it's like, oh no, my gifts are vital to this body, this local group of believers. And it's because we were not created to be alone. Because listen, a dismembered part of your body has no function. But instead, when we are united and together, what we have is great health. You see, I'll close with this. When Jesus' disciples, when they were having a conversation on the road, they were talking about who's the greatest amongst them. The 12 of them are like, you think you're great. Let me tell you why I'm better. And they were just having this conversation, you know, who's the greatest amongst us? And they're all reading the back of their baseball cards to each other. And, um, and Jesus takes them aside. And he says this. He said, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. You see, we live in a culture where we rate how great we are by how many people serve us. And that Jesus is saying the exact opposite. It's not getting others to serve us that constitutes greatness. Greatness is found in service. That's why people that are like, I got a whole group of people serving me, they're not happy, they're not whole, and they don't have purpose. And it just leads to frustration and emptiness. And Jesus is giving us something and calling us to something better. You see, when God took human form in the person of Jesus, it was not only to die for us. It was certainly that but he was also showing us what was the best possible way to live. That Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples because they were all under the delusion that somehow greatness is found in other people serving us. And Jesus is like, no, you've got that wrong. Greatness is found in service, in serving other people, discovering what your gifts are and using that in service for others. You know how we get people plugged in at Calvary to serve? And the average person is like, well, you find out where you need and then you just plug people in. No, we don't do it that way. That would be much too easy. What we do is, is that we try to discover where people's gifts are. And we say, where do you want to serve? And as they decide, because what will happen is on the back of the connection card, someone will check off, I want to serve at Calvary. They'll get a phone call from someone in our office and they'll say, hey, Next week, let's meet up in the cafe. There's usually a group of people that meet. And then we show everybody, this is what happens on a Sunday. There's other things that happen during the week, but this is what happens on a Sunday. Wh where do you think? What are your gifts? Where do you think you'd like to serve? We have people fill out an application and a background check just in case you're not an ax murderer or wanted by the FBI. And then 
what we do is, is that, and then we'll start saying, where do you want to serve? And let's try it out. Because we also recognize that sometimes people have to figure out where they want to serve. Where they'll say, I think I want to work with kids. And they'll say, all right, well, we'll let's try it for 30 days and then we'll check back in with you. And then after 30 days, like, you got to get me out of here. <laughs> I, I thought I wanted to work with kids after this month. I don't even want to have kids anymore. And we're like, that's okay. That's okay. We'll find something else. And the point that we, the thing that we try to do, the thing that we work so hard to do is find the place that you will have tremendous joy and tremendous impact in your service because that's where gifting and calling come together and something so wonderful happens. And sometimes it takes a couple of 30 days. Hey, let's try it for another month. And then how you do, oh, that's all right. Can I try something else? Yeah, we'll try something else. We're not trying to fill holes and just like, well, we just got to find these four people. No, we, we don't do it that way because people don't last when it's just, I'm just plugging a hole. And once again, that's not what our goal is for you. What our goal for you is for you to discover what your gifts are and serve in an area that you're passionate about because it's in, it's in line with what your gifting is. And that's how you become great. Greatness is never found in sitting and having other people serve you. Greatness is serving other people with the gifts that God has given me in Jesus' name. And Jesus wants you to live a life of greatness, a greater life than we're living. And that involves knowing what your gifts are, knowing that you're part of the body of Christ and that every part of the body matters. And that when we find our vital place in it, lives our lives, everybody's life around us too begins to change. Let's pray together. And Lord, I want to thank you so much. We thank you that you haven't just left us, but instead you've given us gifts and you've given us this incredible adventure of discovering what they are and learning what they are. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to not only discover those gifts, but to put them into play so that we can see the whole body blessed and built up and we can see the vital role that we play in the body of Christ that you've placed us. And so we thank you for that. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.